you're listening to the RUF at UT podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. Here's where I want to start. Summary statement, story, then we'll get into it. All of us, to be accepted, know that we need to offer something. Something to say, accept me because of this. Okay? Here's, let me, let me, let me uh, illustrate. Here's what I mean. Back in 2014, I attended a party. And at that party, a friend of mine said, hey, Matt, you know that girl I've been telling you about? She's here. And you need to go ask her out. And I was like, dude, no. No relationships for me. I'm moving to Montana this summer when school finishes up. Like, I'm totally single and cool with it. No ladies. I'm out. And he was like, dude, that's cool, whatever. You're going to look like an idiot because I've already told her that you are going to be asking her out. Uh, Anxiety activated. That is brutal. Don't do that to your friends. So what are you going to do, Mac? Well, I tried to hype myself up, took some deep breaths, and then I searched that girl on Instagram so that I could know what her name was. At Jessica Nicole G-O-E-T-Z. Now listen, like, how would you pronounce that? G-O-E-T-Z. I was like, ah, I don't know. Goats. That spells goats, right? Okay. So I'm over here thinking, got her name. I'm going to walk up, I'm going to smile real big and say, hey, Jess Goats, my name's Mac Holt. That was my in, that was my offering, so that Jess would accept me, wanted the date. So I tuck my shirt in, check my breath, walk over, all cool, smile real big, hey, Jess Goats, first and last name, like a psychopath. She looks at me, she laughs, and she says, I think you need to try that again. My name is Jessica Gates. Now, what happened here? I went up and I made my offering, big smile, said her full name again like a psychopath. I thought this was a good presentation, a good offering. I thought I was going to be accepted, and it fell flat. All right. You guys, I hope, don't have the relational woes that I have had, and I know this is silly, but I also know that what I was doing is something that is just fundamental to what it means to be human. There's something in us, deep in our gut, that just knows that to be accepted by someone, you have to offer something. Whether you're interviewing for an internship or a job, you're picking out the right outfit, you're curating your resume... Maybe you're asking someone on a date or you're going on a date. You're trying to make friends on campus. And you start thinking through, how do I need to offer myself? How do I need to present myself so that I can get an in? Now, that is a story that goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Genesis, and especially its first several chapters, are uh, like Genesis sounds like uh, genetics, right? Like same word gene at the root of both. 
And truly, the first several chapters of Genesis are like the genetic code for the human race. And human history and the rest of the Bible is just an outplaying of what you find in those first few chapters. There's nothing new after these first few chapters. And when you read them, what you find is that, yes, God's created the universe. He's created mankind to be like creation's crowning jewel. He makes Adam and Eve, this father and mother of humanity. And they are made in perfection. Perfectly knowing and enjoying their God. Perfectly knowing and enjoying one another. Perfectly knowing and enjoying their own self and the creation. And the Bible summarizes that by saying that their state of perfection, that this is being naked, or as one of my friends says, naked and unashamed. Naked and unashamed. That's perfection. Meaning, you see me exactly as I am. No covering, no offering, no performance, and you accept me. Y'all know what self-consciousness feels like? Like, I'm kind of self-conscious right now because I'm wearing glasses and this silly Britney mic, and I'm like, man, is my hair looking funny? Like, self-consciousness, you guys know what this is to experience? Is that just me? They had the absolute object, like, opposite of self-consciousness. Total self-unconsciousness, total freedom. Imagine that. How perfect would that feel? And then they sin. Perfect relational harmony breaks. They realize upon sinning that now there's something about me that's not right. And if you see it, you will reject me. So I need to cover So I need to give some sort of offering to hide behind so that I'll be accepted. Like if we had the technology right now to wire up your brain and your heart and your thoughts and your feelings and all these different things, and we just put a projector up here and we displayed like, hey, this was a day in the life of so-and-so. And then we just played it all. Here's what you thought of your roommates. Here's what you thought as you walked through campus today. Here's what you did on Friday night. Like, just play that out. What would you do? You start sinking down in your seat a little bit, like, bro, who's looking at me right now? The hoodie would go up. You'd dash out of here as quick as you could. You would not show your face here next week. And that impulse, that sense, that if exposed, I want to hide, that's our nakedness. And so we make offerings. Something to cover us, something to say, accept me because of this. Let me hide behind this thing. All right, don't you see this? Why are some of you working so intensely hard? Killing yourselves with performance. That's your offering. It's your way of saying to yourself and to other people and maybe to God, look, don't you see I'm acceptable because of my work, because of everything that I'm achieving, everything that I'm doing. That's why you're killing yourself with your work. That's why some of you are obsessing over what people think of you. You let people walk all over you, Just as long as I can make people happy, as long as I can make them comfortable around me, never disappointing them, that's your offering. It's your way of covering up that nakedness. It's a way of making yourself acceptable to yourself, to other people, to God. And on it goes. It's why you're devastated when you gain weight. It's what's behind the frenetic posting on Instagram, just perfect selections of your days. These are your offerings. These are fig leaves. These are ways of covering up that nakedness, trying to make an offering. Accept me because of this thing, this performance. 
And nowhere is this more true than when it comes to our relating to God, to being accepted by God. And the truth is that our failures, our sin, our guilt, it genuinely does separate us from God. And we know it. And that's why after Adam and Eve sin, they hear God walking in the garden. And so they run and they hide. And God calls to them and says, where are you? And Adam responds by saying, I heard you walking and I got scared and I hid because I'm naked. That is our natural state. Hide from God. Don't approach him without an offering. Okay, a lot of backstory, but that all brings us to our text tonight. Cain and Abel and the offerings they give to God. And everyone in this room, everyone in the whole world is either a Cain or an Abel. They represent the only two ways of relating to God after the fall. And we've got to compare these guys and their offerings because that's what Hebrews 11 does. That's how it is giving us this first piece of a definition of faith. It compares their offerings. And in that comparison, we see how Abel has faith. So two points. The offering of Cain and the offering of Abel. Chapter 4, verse 1 in your text. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Y'all, you can see in this just the joy of a new mother. But it is more than just the joy of having a baby that's going on here. Rewind a hot sec. Adam and Eve, they're in the state after the fall. They're naked. They're ashamed. God comes to them. Where are you? They respond. And then God says, listen, creation's going to be broken in all of these different ways. Work and relationships and life, it's just going to be hard now. You're going to experience death. And you're going to have this massive enemy. The guy who tempted you in the first place, the serpent, Satan. Yes, he is going to be your enemy. But in the middle of rolling out all of this cursing of creation, God gives Genesis 3.15. And what does it say? It's an amazing promise. It's a promise of the gospel right here. God says, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is a promise. It's saying, yes, look, I know y'all sinned, and the world's going haywire, But from Eve is going to come a child. And this child is going to triumph over and conquer Satan. Are you guys tracking? Maybe. Cool. Okay. Eve has that promise in her mind as this baby bump is formed. One of my kids is going to triumph over Satan. Maybe it's this little guy. This kid is like the Super Bowl of babies. Hero of the human race. She is psyched. And so she says, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And she names him Cain. Terrible baby name. Cain. Cain literally just means I have gotten. So this little dude Cain, a.k.a. I have gotten, he grows up. Now imagine the way that his parents look at him, talk to him. This kid is going to conquer Satan. Golden child. Like y'all think your parents have expectations on you that are high? This dude's parents think that he is going to conquer Satan and set the whole world right. And you know what? The little guy kind of buys into the hype. One day, he's looking back towards the Garden of Eden, and he decides, hey, I should go make an offering. I should go make a sacrifice to God. Now, again, Cain's been told his whole life, 
Cain, you have what it takes. You're our hero. Now, how do you think that's going to affect his approach to God? God is going to accept me because of my virtue, because of my works, because of how good I am, because of my performance. That's the offering. And these vegetables that I'm bringing, that's an expression of that. Like, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good, right? Come on, God. Like, I'm doing really good. I'm doing really, really good. Just give me a little pat on the back. Everybody else is. I'm a good guy. But the text tells us that God does not regard. He does not accept Cain's offering. And then Cain loses it. The text says he's angry. His face fell. He was dejected. He was depressed. He was so mad that God didn't accept his offering. And here's the point. The entire point of Cain's story here is that God will never accept us based on our work, efforts, morality. You can never commend yourself to God. But that is how we all naturally naturally relate to him. That's our fundamental disposition. God will bless me. He will accept me if I do everything right. So I go to Bible studies. I do all the right things, thinking that God accepts me or maybe he just likes me more because I'm doing all the right things. And when something gets wrong, we get angry. It's why Cain gets angry. I did everything right and God didn't bless me. Like picture on campus, I don't know if you guys still have them, but like old school vending machine, right? Chips, I don't know what else is in there. Good stuff, right? You put in some coins or your vol ID or something and you press like A4, I want Snickers and out falls like, I don't know, potato chips. What do you do? You start shaking that thing. Like, hey, I gave the right input. Why are you not giving me the right result? I did the right thing, God. Why are you not blessing my life? We get angry. Or think about when you've blown it. Like you royally screw up. Or you do the thing that you've promised you're never going to return to. I'm done with that habit. I'm over it. But you fall back into it. How do you respond? God, I'm going to try so much harder next time. Just give me another chance. Gosh, I'm worried about what God thinks of me now. I mean, I was doing so good. I felt like he was so proud of me. I went to Bible studies. I went to RUF. I told somebody about Jesus this week. I read my Bible each day. I didn't do that thing. And then I blew it Friday night. How am I going to get back in your good graces, God? Okay. All of that is the way of Cain. Relating to God based on your performance. And all of us are guilty of this. Now, what is the way of Abel? What's so different about his offering? So Adam and Eve, they have a second son, and they name him Abel. And if you just look at your text, you can see how much of an afterthought this kid is. It just says, and again, she bore his brother Abel. Not my son Abel, but his brother Abel. Like, imagine how painful that would be if your parents introduced you to their friends as like, yo, this is Mac, Uh, that's our daughter's brother. Like, bro, I'm your son too. Like, what is this? That's what they're saying of Abel. They have no regard for him. And if you thought Cain's name was a little bit funky, guess what Abel's name means? We heard it last week from uh, James in Ecclesiastes. This word hevel, all through Ecclesiastes, which means a vapor or a vanity. Remember that? Same word given for this man, Abel. His name literally means vanity, worthless one. Oof. 
That's brutal. That's some baggage from your family. That's mega middle child syndrome. Shout out J. Cole. He has been overlooked since the get-go. And then he hears, all right, big brother Cain that everybody loves. He's going to make an offering. And so Abel's like, well, I guess I better do that too. Why does this middle child, who everyone has told him he is worthless, why is his offering accepted? Hebrews 11 gives us the answer. It says that he made it in faith. What was he trusting in? What was the faith that he had? The first component is this. We see it in contrast to Cain. Abel's name, his story, his everything just so clearly shows you that the guy is not trusting in himself. He's not trusting in his offering. He's not going to God and saying, God, accept me because of how hard I work and look at all this great stuff I've done. He has zero illusion that God will accept him for him and for his offering, for his work, his efforts. So what's he looked to? What's he trusting in for acceptance? Second component of faith. Abel's looking back to what God has already said, and he's trusting that. I wish we had space in our bulletin where I could have printed out all of Genesis 3, but I can't, so I just have to explain it to you all. Listen, Abel's grown up, and he's been hearing the whole time about the fall, the reason that the world's all jacked up, about why they're all feeling naked and ashamed, and how God came looking for his parents, and how that God promised that one day someone would come who would be wounded, but would triumph over evil. And he'd heard the story about how God came to Adam and Eve, And he said, y'all, those fig leaves that you made to cover yourself, that's not going to work. So I'm going to make clothes for you. Out of the hides of animals, I'm going to have to sacrifice something. God is going to have to sacrifice something. Point being, it's been steeped in his imagination that God is the one who is going to have to make a sacrifice to cover us. That's all in the chapter before ours, Genesis 3. And Abel's grown up hearing that on repeat. And so when he makes his offering, he's looking back at those stories and he's trusting in all that God has already promised and said. That God, I'm only acceptable before you because of the same coverings that you covered my parents with. It's not my efforts. It's not my works. It's not how good I'm doing stuff, God. It's your promises. It's your promise that one day you're going to send someone who's going to fix all of these things and make us acceptable again. Do you see these two ingredients to the life of faith? Faith has nothing to do with you and your abilities and your efforts and strength and how good you look and how good you perform. That is the way of Cain. Faith has everything to do with knowing that God won't accept you by your efforts. And so faith turns somewhere else for hope. It turns to the promises of God. It rests in the promises of God. That's a lot of just summarizing the story of Genesis 3 and 4. So let me summarize real quick. Here's what we learn about faith from Abel. Faith begins with a supreme dissatisfaction with self. A restlessness with self. An understanding that you do not have what it takes. You are up a cosmic creek without a paddle when it comes to being accepted by God. And that should make you desperate. 
But that is a holy desperation. And out of the darkness of that desperation, a great light dawns. A God who comes to you, who seeks after you, and he says, where are you? He discovers, yes, you've eaten the fruit, you've rebelled, you've dropped the cosmic ball in our relationship with God. But rather than bailing, God keeps coming. He says, I'm going to move towards you. I love you and I want you. I'm going to move heaven and earth and I will have hell to pay in order to have you. Faith begins in a restlessness with ourselves, but looks to rest in the promises of God. That's what we see in the life of Abel. Okay, so where does the story go? Abel's offering by faith has been accepted. Cain's has been rejected and Cain is angry. And his anger turns into rage. He sees injustice at the idea that God won't accept him for his efforts, for his performance. At this moment, Cain would love to destroy the entire universe if he could. He would love to destroy God if he could. But instead, Abel is at hand, and so that's what he does. He kills Abel. He invites him into the field and murders him. Side note, do you see the seriousness of sin? The smallest lust, the smallest anger, given time and circumstance, would become adultery, would become murder. But God, ever gracious, comes to him and says, Cain, where's your brother? He's burning in his rage at having been rejected, and so he responds back quickly to God. Am I my brother's keeper? And God says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Cain is raging at his God. And it results in his brother's death. Do you all see the similarity to what we have done? We have raged against our God with our sin, and it resulted in the death of Christ. And while Abel's blood cries out for justice, Christ's blood cries out that justice has been satisfied. Okay, back to terrible introduction with Jess. I don't fully understand why. But she still went on a date with me, and one date turned into two, which turned into ten, which turned into marriage and three children. Why did she say yes? It certainly wasn't because of my introduction. And things didn't, like, course correct quickly. I picked her up in a forerunner that was rusted out and was stick shift, and I was bad at driving stick shift, and I stalled it out multiple times. Forgot my wallet. She had to pay. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Why did she accept that first date and then continue to go out with me? I had an advocate. I had an advocate. The friend who introduced us, he and his wife advocated for me. And Jess listened to them, and so she accepted me. Do you guys know that Jesus, like what he's called for those who trust him, he's called your advocate? Which is encouraging, right? Christ is up there right now at the right hand of God, pleading with him, advocating for Mac Holt. But that advocacy can seem tenuous, like you're on thin ice, right? How long will God the Father listen to Jesus and keep accepting us? Like if you picture Jesus as your advocate and he's saying, Father, listen, I know Mac blew it again, um, but just give him one more chance. Like will you do that for my sake? Will you give Mac another chance, please? If that's how you think God, Jesus is advocating for you, you're going to be on thin ice all the time. But Christ's blood cries out instead that justice is satisfied. 
Our advocate is saying, yes, Mac sinned again. But I'm not asking for mercy. Jesus is crying out, demanding justice. He's saying, my blood has already been spilt on behalf of Mac's sin. So, Father, embrace Mac. His sins have been paid for. Cleanse Mac. His sins have been paid for. Open his eyes. Come into his life. Embrace him. His sins have been paid for. Do you see that this is what the blood of Jesus cries out for? It cries out for justice, but a justice that has already been accomplished on your behalf. For anyone who trusts in him. Saying, Jesus, I need that. And when you rest in his blood, there is so much security. Security of your sin being washed away. Security that he is making you whole again. Security that he is cleansing you. Security that he is your righteousness. Now, y'all, I want you to imagine what would happen if you gave up relating to God like Cain on your performance. Whether good or bad. Leaving behind the days of thinking, I feel really good with God right now because of all this stuff I've been doing. Or I feel really bad with God right now because of all this stuff I've been doing. What would happen if you left that behind? And instead, you trusted yourself. Trusted yourself to a God who promises to accept you and welcome you based on the blood of his son. A God who wants you to know him and enjoy him based solely on what Christ has already done. And so you don't need to work anymore. You can rest. You can enjoy your God's smile upon you. I don't care how messed up this last week's been, this last month, this last year. Because the blood of Jesus covers you, the God, the Father, he looks at you and his face is set in an eternal smile. Go home to that God for the first time or for the 500th time. Let's pray. RUF is a community of students that is trying to learn how to love God, love people, and love the University of Tennessee. The way that we do that is to create safe places for students of all types and backgrounds to process the story of Jesus and to learn how to integrate their lives into his story. For more information, follow us on Instagram at UTK underscore RUF or visit our website at www.ruf.org slash UTK.